today's scripture reading will be from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and I am reading from the English Standard Version. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him, excuse me, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm going to start with the line that I want you to walk out of here with today, and it is this. The gospel is a line that must be walked, and our task as Christians is to, to take every step that we take in line with the gospel. The last time we were in the book of Galatians was before the VBS series, and we talked about two visits, and we talked about the first of those visits, and the first visit was that Paul went up to Jerusalem where Peter was. This is the second visit. It's Peter coming to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas are, and he's visiting them. And I need to remind you of the reason, reason that Paul wrote Galatians, okay? He goes to this area of Galatia. He starts a bunch of churches. He tells them the gospel message, and then he leaves so that he can start other churches. That was kind of the way he operated, okay? And so now these churches are just beginning to get going. And in Paul's absence, some teachers come in and they say to all of these churches, they say, hey, this Paul guy, he's a really great guy. We love what he's saying because he's directing you to Jesus, but there's something that he left out. Do you know what it is? And they begin to teach that in addition to Jesus and his cross, the thing that will save you, that will make you right in God's eyes, is adhering to the Mosaic law. And so you need to eat right, and you need to obey the right ceremonies, and you need to mark your body so that you're part of the club, and then you will be in. And it's not really not important that they were the things that they were adding, what specifics, What's important is that they were adding to the cross. They were saying, Jesus isn't enough. And if we could put those two, these two ideas in, in uh, perspective and put them alongside of each other, Paul would have said this. This was his idea. You come to belief in Jesus, and then in belief... You walk in faith in baptism, um, and then you are saved. You're saved. Because of your belief, because of your faith in baptism, you're saved. And then you keep the law. You keep God's commands. The teachers, on the other hand, would twist it just a little bit. They would invert those last two points. They would say, hey, you come to believe in Jesus and who he is, that he's the son of God. You accept his uh, crucifixion, his sacrifice in faith, in baptism, and 
you keep the law and then you're saved. And so they would mix up those last two. We would say it around here in this place like this. We would say uh, uh, that Paul was driving at something like this, that we are saved by grace, that we are saved through faith, we are saved in baptism, and we are saved for good works. That's the way we would put it. The teachers would put it this way. We are saved through faith in baptism by our good works. Do you see the difference? Anytime, we covered this in the first chapter of Galatians, Paul writes Galatians to, under, to help these people understand that anytime you add to the cross of Christ, what you're really saying is the cross isn't enough to make me right in the eyes of God, and so I have to add my own works to it. And anytime you add to the cross, you nullify what it has done, and it's as if the cross doesn't matter at all. And what you end up with at the end of the day is a salvation based on your own works, your own good deeds, your own righteousness. And Paul writes this book to combat that idea. Paul says in chapters 1 and 2, here's why you should listen to me. You should listen to me because I got the gospel from Jesus himself. That's number one. Number two, you should listen to me and you should go with this gospel that I am presenting to you because when I went to Jerusalem at that first visit, I compared my gospel with the gospel that the apostles, the super A apostles, Peter and James and John and all those guys that actually walked and talked with Jesus, I compared my gospel with the gospel that they were preaching to everyone and they weren't different. Our notes were exactly the same. I didn't have to change my message one bit. Why? Because we both got it from Jesus. That's the second reason you need to listen to me. The third reason you should probably listen to me is because this very gospel gave me the authority to oppose the primo leader in the church, Peter himself, the rock, the one that Jesus renamed, the one that Jesus says, in you, Peter, is my church. In my, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom here. And Paul says, because of the truth of the gospel, I had the authority to oppose Peter when he wasn't walking in line with it. And so, this incident that we've just read involves Peter coming to Antioch. It's the second visit. And Peter comes to Paul's church, and it's a church that's full of Gentile people. By Gentile, I mean they weren't Jewish, like Peter was. Okay? And Paul quickly finds himself looking at Peter and watching what Peter's doing, and he finds himself opposing Peter because Peter strategically abandons his eating habits. Now, what's going on there? Verse 12 says, He used to eat with the Gentiles, and then he stopped. Let's give you some background. Now, Peter is a Jew through and through. And the most surprising thing in this text is probably why he would eat with Gentiles in the first place. Jewish people had rules about who they would and would not eat with. 
And Gentiles were not on the list. If you ate with a Gentile, that would defile you in the eyes of God and you would no longer be uh, right with God and you would have to go and sacrifice and make amends. And so they would not eat with Gentiles. Well, if you remember Acts chapter 10, there was a pivotal life change that happened to Peter. He's up on a rooftop and he has a dream. And the dream happens three times in a row. And the dream is exactly the same each time. The dream is of sheets, big sails full of animals. And in the, in the sheets are animals that are clean and they're unclean. In, in, in other words, there are animals that Jews could eat and there are animals that only Gentiles would eat. Animals that if a Jewish person ate, it would defile them. And every time this sheet is lowered and Peter hears this word, and it's from God himself, arise Peter, kill and eat. And the message that he's supposed to get from that is the gospel is for everyone. Jesus's cross has made a way for even Gentiles to come to the table of Christ. Now, from then on, Peter realizes, okay, these people are supposed to be in the family of God. And so he does change his ways. And he begins to eat with Gentiles in a way that he never would have before. One of the best things that you can do to accept somebody else is to accept their culture. If there's somebody different from you and you kind of want to win them to your side, just start being interested in what they're interested in. Accept their culture. I can't really tell about this without uh, telling you about a time when I was in India several years ago. And when we were there, we were paired up with uh, guides. Not really paired, but there was a small group of us and we each had a guide. And our guide spoke Hindi and obviously there was a language barrier there. But our guide was really cool. And by the end of two weeks, hanging around with this guy and uh, him cooking for us and buying stuff in the market and leading us around and showing us different things. I mean, there was a, there was a friendship there. There was a bond. There was a really, you know, if I had uh, been able to speak Hindi, I'm sure that this is a guy that I would have hung out with. And so on one of our last days there, we are at a mall in Delhi. Now a mall in Delhi is not the same thing as a mall that you're aware of. Okay. But there were shops on either side and we're walking down the middle of the mall. And I'm walking, and the guide is here, and we're just having a good time. We're looking at, you know, I'm thinking about buying a leather coat or something because they're really cheap. So I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, I feel a hand slip into my hand and grab it. And I look over, and my Indian guide friend has started to hold my hand. Now, at this point, I need to tell you that that is... That does not mean what it means here. (laughs) In India, that is a huge sign of respect and honor. And basically, he was saying, you're my brother. It is very common to see in in India uh, two men walking down the road or sidewalk and holding hands. And that does not mean what it means in our culture, okay? And so here I am, and I'm glad I knew that, because that creeped me out, I got to say, okay? And I knew enough not to shrink, shirk back, you know, I knew enough, hey, I'm in India, I got to go with this. And this guy 
is showing me huge respect. He's saying, you're my friend. You are a part of the family. You have a seat at the table. And so I walked hand in hand with my Indian friend down the mall. Okay? That's where Peter is. Peter is walking hand in hand with the Gentile people that he encounters in the church in Antioch, and he's eating bacon with them, and they're having a great time. Okay? And then something happens. A group comes from Jerusalem that the text says is the circumcision group. Now, if you'll remember from the very first visit that we covered, Paul went to Jerusalem to visit Peter. And in Jerusalem, there was this great council, and they compared notes about what the gospel was. And at that meeting, at that council, there was a group that popped up called the circumcision group who said, you cannot be saved unless you start following the Mosaic law. Unless you eat like a Jew, unless you mark your body like a Jew, unless you keep all the ceremonies like Jewish people, you cannot be saved. And the apostles and Paul and everybody opposed this group and said, that's not the gospel that Jesus gave us. The gospel that Jesus gave us includes everyone, and you don't have to change your culture in order to be right in the eyes of God. You just need to accept Jesus. And we had learned in chapter 1 that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. You got it. You got it. And so you would think that the circumcision group would go away. But it never goes away. And i got to tell you, it, it doesn't ever go away because it's our human nature, even you and me, to try to save ourselves. We are constantly trying to add to the gospel. When the gospel, the walking the gospel is just about resting in the fact that Jesus has made a way for us and he's covered it all. And the more you get that into different corners of your life, the more you're going to understand his great love for you and the more you will walk that line. It's amazing the way the gospel works. So these people pop up and they pop up in in Antioch and Peter uh, knows them. He probably has a longer relationship with them than he does these new Gentile friends that he's holding hands with and eating bacon with. And so he's afraid. He's afraid. And he changes his eating habits. He strategically abandons them. The text says he drew back. And the word means that little by little he strategically distanced himself from his new Gentile friends. Uh, The message version has it this way. He cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. Now, I can understand Peter's position, and I think you can too, because holding hands with a guy in the middle of a mall in India is one thing. But if I'm out at Walmart and I turn around the aisle and there Sundeep is, and he comes running at me wanting to hold my hand... That's a different story, right? Everybody say yes. That's a different story. Yes, thank you. I I was beginning to think I was the only one. Okay. We can understand Peter's fear. We can understand his position. But we can also understand that Peter was very wrong to do this. 
He hadn't changed his beliefs. He, he understood Acts chapter 10. He understood what the dream meant. He understood that the Gentiles had free access to God through Jesus without becoming Jewish. He still understood that, but he was not applying it. So Paul stands up and says, I opposed him. The word means he took an aggressive stance He took a stance to brace this attack on the gospel that Peter was presenting. See, we, if, if we were watching Peter do this and distance himself, himself strategically from his new friends, if we were watching that, we would just say, oh, he's being rude. Oh, that's just rude. Or that's, that's inhospitable. Or that's just bad manners. And we would, we would kind of gloss over it. Paul did not. Paul saw it for what it was. There was a deeper thing going on. There was a deeper issue. There was an actual attack taking place on the gospel itself. And part of our task today is to begin to see the little things that we do in our lives, the little things that we say, the things that we direct other people's attention to because they want, we want them to think well of us, all of those little things that we do, we need to see them not as rude, not as inhospitable, not as bad manners. We need to see them for what they are. They are attacks on the gospel itself because we are trying to compensate. We're trying to add to what the gospel tells us. The gospel is a line that must be walked, and our task is to bring every step we take in line with the gospel. And so this little incident, this little exchange between the apostles tells us how the gospel operates. And Paul gives us a really radical principle here in verse 14, and the principle is centered around the word for step. He says in verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct, meeting Peter's and some others that he drug in, he, he even drug Barnabas into this way of living. He was so influential. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I opposed him. Now, the word for step is orthopedeo. And if we could just break those, uh, there's two Greek words there, ortho and pedeo. And I'm going to break them up and you will understand what this word means. Let's go with the second one first. Pedeo means, uh, or it's, it's affiliated with the English word for podiatry. It's affiliated with our English word pedal. It's affiliated with our English word biped or quadruped. What do all of those words have to do with? Feet, right? Feet. And so padeo means feet or our steps or our conduct or our standing before God. What about ortho? Oh, some of you know what ortho is. <laughs> A lot of you parents who've had children who have gone to the dentist, you know what ortho is, right? Ortho means lots of money, right? But it also means straight. If you're going to the orthodontist, it's because you want your teeth to be straight. So let's put those two together. Orthopedeo means to step straight, to live rightly, to have upright feet, to walk the line is what it means. And verse 14 tells us two things. It tells us, number one, that the gospel is a truth. 
It is a set of truth claims. It makes a bunch of claims about who we are and who God is and what he's done. It says that we are weak, that we are sinful. It says that we are running from God. It says that God has a standard that must be met and that we can't meet that standard. The gospel claims that Jesus is God's son and he came to the earth to live a righteous life, the kind of life that God will accept. And then he took that righteous life and he gave it, he sacrificed it for us on a cross. And now when we believe in him and follow him and trust him, then we can be right in God's eyes as well. It's a set of claims. Number two, this gospel truth, the set of claims that it brings, has vast implications for all of our life. Because our job now is to think through those implications and the truths of the gospel and bring every part of our walk in line with all of the truths that the gospel brings. If it were just our actions, then that would be easy. If I just had to change my behaviors, then hook me up to an elect, uh, you know, a little electrocution device, and when I do a bad thing, shock me a little bit, and over a period of time, I'll quit doing that bad thing. But the gospel doesn't stop there. And that's what makes the gospel hard, really hard. You see, I can curb my actions easily enough, but can I really curb my thinking, my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, my dreams, my will? That's where the gospel gets hard. The Christian life is a continual realignment. It's a continual straightening process. It's one of bringing everything we do, every thought we have, every motive we have, every dream, every desire, every step we take in line with the truth of the gospel. The gospel is a line that must be walked and our job is to bring every part of our life in line with the gospel. And Paul's going to give us a real life example here. And his example is this confrontation that he has with Peter. Peter withdraws and stops eating with his Gentile brothers because of fear. The Gentile believers that he knows have come to town and they know they're going to, he knows they're going to look down on him for eating with Gentiles. And even Barnabas was persuaded to stop doing this. And so Paul pops up and he opposes Peter because of his actions. Now, let me stop there and just ask this. Do you have a friend that knows you that well, that loves you that deeply, that they, when, when they see you getting offline from the gospel, they would pop up in front of you and say, you've forgotten something. Do we have those kind of deep friendships, people who will be honest with us and tell us where we're going wrong? Paul was that kind of person to Peter. This isn't so much this between Peter and Paul. No, these are two brothers, and one brother sees the other brother getting off track. And so Paul stands up, and he says, Peter, God doesn't have fellowship with you on the basis of your race, just because you're a Jew. He doesn't have fellowship with you just because of what you do or don't eat. That's not why God accepts you as righteous, Peter. Do you remember why God accepts you as righteous? It's because of what Jesus has done. If that's true, then how can you turn around and use culture 
and use what a person may eat or may not eat to determine who you fellowship with. You see, that what had happened is Peter forgot the gospel. That was Paul's message and challenge to Peter. You've forgotten the gospel. You may still believe the gospel in reference to your own standing, but you've forgotten it when it comes to other people. You're not laying it out in front of you and walking it. You're not applying it. And I find Paul's argument so great and so interesting because it would have been easy for Paul to pop up into Peter's face and just say, you're wrong. Do you want me to call? Let me name what this really is. This is racism. You're a racist, Peter. And he could have stuck his finger in Peter's chest and he could have said, here are the scriptures, man. Here's what God has said about this. Fix yourself. But that's not the approach he took. All of those things would have been true. He doesn't say racism is a sin, though it is. He doesn't say racism is a violation of God's law, though it is. What he says is this, Peter, racism is not in line with the gospel. It doesn't go together. It doesn't make sense. And Paul uses the gospel to show Peter the spiritual roots of the mistake he's making. Peter forgets the gospel. And when you forget that you haven't done anything to merit being saved, when you forget that you are saved by grace, and instead you latch on, however temporarily, to the idea that your culture or that your skin color or what you do or don't eat is what makes you more right with God than somebody else who may not dress or talk or eat the way you do, when you buy into that, then other cultures become less and it's normal not to want to eat with those other cultures that aren't as close to God as you are. That's what's happened because Peter forgot the gospel. And so if racism is what happens when I forget that I'm saved by grace, then when I act in racist ways, when I say racist things, then what I'm really doing is I'm attempting to justify myself. And when I attempt to justify myself, I forget that I've already been justified because of what Jesus has done. And I'm adding to the gospel. The way this example plays out is powerful. Because at the end of the day, all sin, you can underline this two or three times, All sin is what happens when we forget the gospel. Peter forgot that God justifies by faith and not his culture. And so he had to prove to himself and to the circumcision group that he was still obeying Jewish culture. And he's saving himself by his works. What parts of the gospel have you forgotten? What parts do you routinely forget? What parts of your life aren't in line with the gospel. Maybe you forget that God loves you just like you are. That's a, that's a part of the gospel. And when you forget that, then you begin to have to prove to other people that you're worthy of their love. And so you do that through very hard work, or you do that through your looks, or you do that through your honor and your integrity. However you do it, 
You're adding to the cross. You're saving yourself by your works. Maybe we forget that God has forgiven us where we are weak and when we sin. And when we forget that, when we forget that God has forgiven us all of those failures, then what we do is we start looking around to other people and we start to criticize other people. And it's an attempt to make ourselves look better than we are, to make ourselves look more acceptable. And when we do that, we're saving ourselves by our works. We're adding to the cross. Maybe we forget a part of the gospel that says that God wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to be filled with joy. And when we forget that, we, for, we also forget that he's outlined the way that we should live in order to attain that abundant life and in order to attain that great joy. And when we forget it, we instead try to find that joy in other places. We try to find it in a bottle or on a website or in some endeavor, some great mission or in an account. And I'm saving myself myself by my works when I do that. The reason for Paul to argue with this, this way with Peter is to get at the root issue behind the sin. It, it does little good to say to Peter or anybody else, you're a sinner. We know that, <laughs> right? We kn- I know that I'm a sinner. And you don't have to tell me not to sin. What I really need is why I sin. That's what I'm giving you today. This is why. Because you forget the gospel. All sin is what happens when we forget the gospel. And now we have something to work with. Now I have the keys to change. And isn't that a refreshing approach? I would argue that for the most part we do a really bad job of walking with each other as brothers, as sisters, and popping in front of each other's faces when when one of us goes wrong. But even when we do, how do we approach those kind of situations? More often than not, it's with guilt. And you'll hear somebody say, you know what? My life is going great. And it's because they will attribute to it, it to, uh, I've been reading the scripture every day. And I've, I've been having my quiet time every day. And my life is going great. And I see you're a little off track. If you would just do what I'm doing then your life would get back on track. And it's guilt. And it's manipulation. That's what we use. And what we're really communicating when we say those kind of things is that all you need to do is to become like me. And you'll be good in God's eyes. (laughs) How more prideful and self-righteous can we be? And it is no wonder that people come into our churches and they just get crushed because we put these obligations on them. Can we stop that? Can we be Paul? And can we pop up and say, you've forgotten the gospel. That's what's going on. Your life took a wrong turn, and it's not because you're not doing the right things. It's not because you need to do what I'm doing. It's because you've forgotten the gospel. What you need to do is look at the gospel again and determine what that means for you today. Remember the grace that God has showered on you. What does it look like for you to live out and enjoy that grace today? Maybe that means 
you're opening up a Bible and you're spending some time in prayer. Maybe that means you're going to somebody else and asking forgiveness. Maybe that means you're just going to love well today. What does it mean when we remember the gospel, when we remember what God has done for us through no merit of our own, it's all about Jesus, when we remember his great love for us, how does that change what we do and the line we walk even today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the, the gospel, <laughs> at the end of the day, is, is nothing we can do. That we are made right in the eyes of Jesus, or in the eyes of God, because of Jesus. And then that has huge implications for how we take even our next step. It means that we're to take our next step in love. It, mean, it means we're to take our next step in discipline, in forgiveness, in humbleness. It means that we're to look at the great love that was showered on us and determine how that can more, how shape our lives more and more with every step we take. Father, we thank you that... There are people like Paul who stand up and tell us what's really going on in our life. What's really going on is we've forgotten Jesus. We've forgotten the love that was shown to us. May we never forget. It's in his name, the great Savior, the resurrected, strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.